Uh, so some of you guys know we've been in the book of John and looking at this kind of desert experience. It all takes place in the desert in the beginning. Uh, this kind of crazy guy, John the Baptist, is out there baptizing people and calling people to repentance. And eventually Jesus comes on the scene and it starts to set up in the book of John uh, the whole narrative of the rest of the scripture. This is John's sort of entry. It's like, hey, this is how we, how we begin. This is how the story begins. And he has John 1, 1. In the beginning, the word was God and the word is with God. And he kind of goes on to tell the rest of the story all in chapter 1. And it ultimately speaks to Jesus' purpose, right? He's setting up his, his argument. Why was Jesus here? What is the purpose of Jesus? What's the purpose of this guy in our lives and in the context of the society then and even today? And how deep does that go? So we're kind of picking around that, trying to unpack some things. Um, but I want to talk about my dog for a second, if I can, because I have this dog. Dog Penny. Some of you guys know Penny. Uh, she's a lot better than our last dog. She's not a great dog, but she's a lot better than the last dog we had. Uh, Penny has this, this penchant for chewing cords. She loves to chew cords, especially when she was a puppy. She's a little over a year old now, and she still likes to chew cords. And my son came down the other day with an apple cord. It's very expensive. And he's like, this cord's not working. And I looked at it and, it, and it wasn't cut in half, but we kind of examined it. And there's these puncture holes in it from her teeth. So she, when she was a puppy, she's bit them clean in half. That's how she did it. Now she's a little more devious so she like kind of puts these pinholes in the cord that doesn't cut it clean in half but it still doesn't work and so the, the dog kind of goes after these things and, and messes with the cord and breaks the connection of cord of course the cord doesn't work and you can't charge your expensive mac computers and the things are expensive to buy so say jed all right let's take this thing apart let's tape it back together all the white apple cords in my house have black electrical tape on them from the dog chewing them in half and so we take them apart we're, we're well accustomed to stripping them down and and reconnecting the the wiring Take this thing apart, strip it down, you know, peel it back, push, push it back together, tape it up, and like, all right, well, moment of truth, let's see if it works. And so Jet takes it to go upstairs. We always kind of have those moments sometimes in, in life. Let's see if this works. We've been doing this thing. I've been spending time on it. Let's see if it works. Let's see if it floats. Let's see if it can fly, whether it's a project or some kind of relationship or a financial decision. Like, let's see if it works. It's sort of moment of truth. Let's see if it works. So Jet goes upstairs. He comes back downstairs holding the cord. Didn't work. I'm like, what? That didn't work, right? Take the thing apart. Unwrap all the electrical tape. Peel it apart again. Find out, oh, there's another cord inside the cord that I have to peel one, that one back to to get it to work. So we take it all apart, wrap it back together, send it up, and it, then that one does work. But it ends up being this sort of process that's a little bit tedious, mostly annoying. It makes me very angry at the dog. Um, it's a bad dog. Well, they said there's no bad dogs. There's just bad pet owners, and that's probably true. I think we're probably bad pet owners. We're bad, we're bad dog owners, but nevertheless, we have this dog that chews our cords, and, and we work on that. But the, the point is, in a, in, is that in that cord, that situation, right, take it apart, we thought we had a fix, right? There was sort of this outer layer of wiring that I wrapped back together and it seemed good to go. This wasn't there. And I had to go back and take it apart, go a little deeper. And that's the story, story of Jesus' reconciliation with the world. It had to go deep. It had to go all the way down to that part to reconnect our relationship with the Father. And if it was like halfway done or almost there, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It has to go all the way. This story has to unfold all the way through uh, to Jesus' life, death, resurrection in the way that it did, in this perfect, uh, this perfect human, perfect God figure on earth, right? It doesn't, doesn't work if it gets kind of halfway. If we do some of it, it has to go all the way. So the mission of Jesus is to repair us at this deepest level. And he's on this scene, and we've set the context. If you've been around, and I'll review it real quick. Around 30 AD, when Jesus starts off, and 
uh, the state of political and spiritual frustration for the people, right? They're in captivity to Rome. They don't really have full reign of their temple. God has kind of been quiet for a while. Remember, there's these sort of silent years. It seemed like in the Old Testament, it was really active. God was there all the time. Lots of prophets, lots of activity. It's kind of gotten really quiet. And so there's this period of very, very spiritual frustration, political frustration, national pride frustration. They're, they're just dealing with this situation of sort of being stuck. I referenced a week or so ago, just 200 years ago, uh, Israel had been uh, captive and held uh, under the reign of the Seleucid Empire, and they had this revolt, the Maccabean revolt. We talked a little bit about that. But these guys, they rose up. They came out of the desert. They had this full guerrilla warfare tactics, and they came out of little towns and different spaces, and they overthrew the Seleucid Empire about 200 years before we're talking about today. And they regained their territory. They had kind of most, most of the land back, and things were good. So it wasn't that long ago that things were good, and the people were able to overthrow an empire. So again, they find themselves now, about 60 B.C., Rome comes in with Julius Caesar, takes over Jerusalem. That whole part of, of uh, this sort of world is, is Roman. I think I have a map of that from last week, Alex. I'm going to flip, flip through the map and kind of see that. So the people are living in this sort of, this sort of frustration. Now there's this activity in the desert again. Baptisms in the desert, crazy guy in the desert. People are coming out to the desert. Jesus is going to come out to the desert. And what if this is what we've been looking for? What if this is the new, the new thing? And I love this slide in Isaiah, this, this verse in Isaiah. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Hundreds of years before, talking about this coming Jesus into the desert. What he's going to bring and bring life. He's going to bring springs. There's going to be rivers, and there's an excitement about that. And the people are just beginning to catch on to some of that excitement. They sense something's happening. They're longing for it. We've all been there. We're longing for something to happen in our lives. We see a little bit of something. Oh, my gosh, is that it? There's always a little fear with that because what if it isn't it? That's, 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 that creates massive disappointment. But they're starting to move into the desert. And you can kind of see on the slide a little bit, there's red dots, it's small, but uh, the dot over here is where the baptism will be, that's Bethany beyond the Jordan, uh, up on the upper lake is Galilee, Cana, where, where Jesus will go like next week when we talk about Jesus' first miracles, and uh, down to other red dots, Jerusalem, and from the top dot to the bottom dot, it's about 70 miles, you can kind of get a little bit of scale. I'm just going to read the text out of John and also Matthew, and then we'll make some comments on it and, and uh, we'll move on. Uh, next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, again, John had been out there doing baptisms. He's been baptizing people, and now Jesus is coming. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And Matthew says it this way, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, Let it be, let it, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting, lining on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So John, his whole sort of purpose, so he's got these different people coming to him, and they're, they're baptizing in the, this, in the desert in the sort of name of repentance, but John said, the reason I baptize is so that he might be revealed, John one thirty one. The reason I baptize is so that he might be revealed. 
revealed. And again, we look at John's heart. We kind of try to dig into John for a couple weeks. He's this really beautiful, powerful character that um, we move on past very quickly. But his purpose of work out there was that Jesus might be revealed. And I love that idea, even of that phrase, that the reason I blank is so that he might be revealed. The reason I traveled to Russia is that he might be revealed. The reason I uh, would, would provide a birthday party for a foster child is that he might be revealed. The reason that I do this job or have this conversation, interact with this person, is that he might be revealed. And it ends up being actually a really great and challenging mission statement for anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus. The reason I blank so that he might be revealed. So John's purpose, his heart, while he's getting people around him, he's getting maybe some people following him, and he has disciples, and he's getting some, maybe some bit of notoriety. He said, the reason I baptize is so that he might be revealed. And so this he comes onto the scene. Jesus is coming onto the scene. And this baptism idea in the water, baptism simply means immerse, immersion or immerse or to overwhelm, which is kind of a cool way to look at it. Baptism is to overwhelm. It's to fully cover up. And baptism, we've talked about, was practiced in the Jewish community by way of ceremonial washings, but they're really tedious and up and down. He kind of did a little bit here, another one the next day, and it was this ongoing kind of series of, of cleanings where this one baptism that John was doing uh, was more typically noted as the one the Gentiles would do when they would come to the Jewish faith. So it's just one time. They go in, it's this massive sort of experience, and it's a confession that I'm far, far from God. Uh, the, the Jewish people kind of felt like they were already close to God, so they did these little acts. The Gentiles came in, it was this one big baptism, said, I'm far from God. And so the Jewish people, as they're coming out and they're getting this baptism that the Gentiles would have God, is sort of a work of the Spirit itself. Right? To confess that I am as far away from God as a Gentile, I need to get right with him, is a work of the Spirit. So the Spirit's working on the heart of the Jewish people who had kind of been standoffish, the resistance to the Gentile people. They don't like other people. They're against other, certainly other religions, other, other, other nationalities, other governments. They sort of like themselves. And he had to be born into that, right, through Abraham. If you weren't part of that, you weren't getting in. It was their exclusive club, and they liked to keep it that way. And now these people are coming out, and they're identifying with people who are once far from God. And that is a work of the Spirit. For those of us who are of the faith, of Christians, of, 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 of Christ followers for any number of years, man, how important is it to remember, to identify that we were once far from God? We were not so different than these people on the outside, right? This is them and us situation. So God's moving, and the people are, are, are taking this step. And the first thing we see, just a quick thing on baptism. Some of us have been baptized here. Some of us are, are thinking about it, or maybe it's coming up. But a couple of things on baptism. Uh, what it's about. And first, Matthew, three, Matthew says, people are coming to be baptized confessing their sins. And he quotes John uh, in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance. So Matthew was making plain the purpose of John's baptism was providing a case for Jewish people to confess their sins, repent, and get right with God. This is the first thing. It's like we were far from God. Even though we had all this religion, even though we were born into it, even though we had all these systems and structures, they're saying, you know what? We got it wrong. We're far from God. Even though we have temple and sacrifices and, and, and liturgy and these texts, we're far from God. We're far from God, and they come to that with repentance. And the second, John makes clear, second, second purpose of baptism. John talked about this is our identity. It's this new identity. Baptism of repentance is bringing into being a, a people of God for this coming Messiah, for Jesus. And their identity is not identical with their, their Jewishness. This isn't about their Jewishness. This isn't about cleaning off their Jewishness, making it really nice and perfect. It's identifying with something else altogether. It's something new. They're identifying now with their repentance. Right? So baptism of, of, of repentance, and it's, it's a baptism of new identity as we come, in, come into this process. 
We see Matthew 3, 9, it says to the Pharisees, I think we looked at this a week or so ago, who had come out to the river. He said, John said, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. It means there's no salvation, there's no security in claiming your lineage to Abraham, this heritage thing. So context again, the Jewish people, big on heritage, big on their lineage. That was their right. They had a birthright. They were close to God God, because they were born into it. And this new thing that's happening, behold, the new thing is happening. It has nothing to do with that. It's about a heart issue. It's about repentance. So Jesus comes out, and, and, and he's coming from Galilee to John out in, out in the desert, out, out, out beyond the Jordan, as it says. And this is significant for Jesus because for many years he's sort of been obscure, right? He's around 30-something now, and we haven't heard a lot about him. There's not a lot in the text about what he was doing during, during that time. That We know he was growing in wisdom and stature, but it was kind of, kind of quiet. And this is sort of his coming out. And these first works of his public ministry, I think, carry great meaning in understanding the rest of, rest of the narrative, the rest of the text. So look at how he, how he calls the initial people, his humility in walking out to the, to the baptism. Jesus gives an answer because John's like, why am I even doing this to you? Remember, John said, I'm not even fit to untie your shoes. I'm not even fit to, to, to get on my knees and, 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 and handle your sandals. Jesus said, hey, it's fitting. Matthew 3.15, let it be, let it be so. Thus, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He said, it's fitting. It's the right thing to do. It's the right process to go through. Now, Jesus didn't need to repent for his own sins, but he's, he's stepping into that, that place for, for sinful man. I think his baptism, above all, shows that he identified with you and I. He identifies with sinners. His baptism, he, he walked out in the desert. He's with all these people. We're like, we're bad. We're far from God. We don't know what we're doing. We're, we, we're, we're losing control of our faith and our, and our, our systems. And they're, they're throwing themselves at the feet of God. And Jesus is like, I'm, I'm going to go along with these people. I'm going to go right along with these people. And he immerses himself with this, this sort of sinful crowd, even though he was perfect, had no sin in his life. And his baptism, and, I, and I, I've been just reflecting on this, his baptism, when we look at the life of Jesus, many ways, other ways this will come up. But his baptism might create the misunderstanding that he was a sinner as well. That he was a sinner as well. That he would walk along with these people and get in line to see John when the purpose was, was repentance. And these people say, like, we're far from God, we want to get close to God. Jesus gets in line with these people. That had an opportunity to create great misunderstanding, and I think Jesus was content to be misunderstood. You see that through his life of eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. It didn't seem to bother him. So these new people are being gathered by, by John the Baptist, and this, they're, they're, they're coming to a new sort, of, new sort of religion based on repentance and faith, not on works and systems. And Jesus is going to be the one who's going to provide the righteousness for them as he does for us. Did he have to? I don't know if he had to. He wanted to. He's here with people. This is John 1.1. 1, 1. He, he, he said in 1.1 1, 1 that Jesus created the entire universe, and now, like halfway through the first chapter, Jesus is getting in line with sinners, surrounding himself with sort of distant people to be baptized. And that's the heart of God. So Jesus gets, he gets baptized, and he comes up, and there's this great verse, and this great imagery, you know, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, and um, I've searched some, I don't know if I have the picture back there, Alex, but sort of the kind of mud bowl that he might have got baptized in. I've seen these pictures that you look online about, you know, Jesus' baptism. It's really, really like blue, clear water, and there's this dove, and there's sun, and Jesus is coming out with like his glowing blonde hair, shaking off his blonde locks, you know, like all happy, and it's probably not the case. I mean, this is similar. I mean, John was just this kind of gnarly dude, and it was out in the desert, probably kind of muddy water. Jesus gets there, but this voice from heaven comes. This is my son. It's my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. 
And beloved comes from the word agape. It's agapetas, beloved, agapetas. And it comes up through Scripture quite a bit, 60 times through the narrative of the Gospels. And Paul uses it, and Peter uses it, and John uses it. And it doesn't mean just mean beloved, like I love you, but it implies worthy of love, worthy of love. When I have to write someone, hey, you're my beloved, you are worthy of love. God's, God is the Father saying, Jesus, you are worthy of my love. You are worthy of my love. And Jesus, at this point, he had just kind of begun, began his ministry, right? He hadn't done, a, uh, at least that we know of, a bunch of miracles. He hadn't gone to the cross. He, God's saying, just to start you off, just to start this thing off, I want to identify this kid, my son. I want everyone to know that he is worthy of my love right now. Right now. Not if he gets through this whole task and ends up on the cross and does everything perfectly, but right now, I love him. This is the Father's heart. This is the Father's heart for, for Jesus. This is the Father's heart for us. This is the message of the gospel, that you are beloved. He expresses his love on Jesus publicly, and he, and he kind of announces that Jesus is, is, is special and beautiful. And then Jesus will take that message and pass that on to re the rest of us. I... Um, Many of you know I work at uh, a number of different things throughout the week. One of them is I work at Made West and um, pour beer for people, which is really great, and, and it's a, a lot of fun. You get to meet a lot of new people and interesting people. Uh, one of the things I notice, though, is, is a sort of my the social experiment that I'm in as we church plan and I do other things. And uh, Church people come in there, and, and pastors and other leaders from other churches come down all the time, and they have meetings or they're just hanging out, and they, and they you know do sermon preps or whatever's going on. And, and they come down, and, and, and the pastors and church leaders tend to be friendly uh, as we serve beer. And I'm, a, I'm fairly friendly up there, somewhat conversational. Uh, but they can be very dismissive if they have things to, go, things to do, and I get it. I don't, no judgment for me, but they kind of come through and uh, say hi. And I, might, I tend to recognize a lot of these people from the community, but I think when I'm behind the bar, it's like as if they can't see me. Like they don't know me anymore from who I was. It's sort of in, my, in this disguise as we're uh, pouring beer. And, uh, and these pastors will come, they'll kind of, kind of come and go, and I've had this, this exchange a number of times now to where it's just kind of gotten interesting to, to kind of muse on. Uh, but they'll do their thing, and they'll get their beer, and they'll go do their thing. Uh, and a number of times, someone has come up after the fact, and they've introduced me to these people, like, oh, you know, this is Jesse, Pastor Jesse from, you know, missionary or from, from New Church. And at that point, it changes everything. Because then all of a sudden, they're super interested in what I'm doing, and they want to be really engaged and kind of find out about uh, my story and what's going on with the church and how many people we have and where do we meet and, you know, do we use ProPresenter and do we have projectors? Like, it just kind of gets, gets turned that way, right? And it's been interesting to kind of watch that from this side of things, just to be hanging out and, not, and get treated sort of dismissively on one way. But once they find out I have this sort of title or I'm one of them, then all of a sudden... Uh, I'm worthy of sort of more time, of more engagement. Right? And I think of that in my own, in my own life, and I think this is something for us to reflect on. We talk about belovedness and affirmation from the Father, right, as we can press into our own behaviors toward the other, and how I, how I might show partiality to other people based on what they do, right? based on their look, their income, their job, their social status, what they do, right? How do I interact with other people? Do I see them as beloved, as worthy of love just because they're a human being, a fellow human being, or is it more based on what I can get from them? Is it worth my time? What do they do? What's their, what's their status? And that's a pressing question for us as we kind of embrace the love of God and, and God begins to set this tone. Jesus is beloved worthy of my love, and he says he so loved the world because the world is now worthy of his love, how we treat one another. 
And it doesn't offend me to be treated less as a pastor. On, on my social scare, I actually hold beer servers ahead of pastors anyway, so it doesn't really bother me. But it's interesting to sort of watch, and it's interesting to reflect on my own life and how I might treat other people based on those things. And who out there just needs to know that they're loved, that they're beloved, that they're worthy of love, not, not, not just love because you have to, right? So we feel like that in our deepest relationships with our family or spouse. Now you have to love me, right? Are you, you feel worthy of love. And God's heart for us as his children is that you are worthy of his love. You're worthy of his love. And if we can embrace that and begin to treat other people that way, it'd be interesting to see what could happen in some, some of the world around us to let people know they are worthy of love. And you never know. I was reading an article on the actor uh, Ben Kingsley. And uh, Ben Kingsley's great, been acting for a long time. Of course, did Gandhi, Schindler's List, Iron Man, Shutter Island, like 50 other films. And I was reading about his, his childhood, and he had a um, kind of a tough upbringing by way of feeling affirmation. And he said, I'd always been the song and dance man in the family. He said, I remember my father referring to me as our little Danny Kane. Danny Kane was an old kind of comedic actor when I was about seven. So that was the only remotely positive comment I remember from them. They never praised me or acknowledged a gram of talent in me at all. Their way was to mock. When are you going to finish with this acting lark, they said, that sort of thing. My mother, far from being proud, was very jealous of my success. And then he talks about this, this exchange he had with the queen. In, 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 uh, he was knighted for his, his, his acting abilities, right? It's like knight people, the queen of England. And he's, he's, he's talking in this article in the UK Telegraph. I told you about my parents and the fact that, that any kind of embrace was totally absent from my life. Right? I told you about my parents and the fact that any kind of embrace was totally absent from my life. So to be embraced by Her Majesty, I felt like stopping people in the street, saying my mom loves me, you know, because that's what it felt like to me, the feeling of a vacuum in the universe. And this is 2002. And this is a guy who, who, who has had a lot. He's had a lot of uh, fame and accolades, and he's won awards, and he's esteemed. But up until this time of his life, there was this massive vacuum in, 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 in his, sort of his universe because of lack of love, because of lack of embrace, because of lack of belovedness growing up. Man, and that just caused me sort of some pause. For as much as we look at people around us, or we even put these things on ourselves because we think we're fine, or look at other people, oh, they're fine. Man, maybe they're not fine. Maybe they're not fine. Maybe there's some kind of hole in their life from lack of embrace, from lack of belovedness, that I can participate in helping send that message of God. John the Baptist, I do this so that he might be revealed. And when we reveal Jesus, it's about love. It's about love. It's, you are my beloved. You are worthy of my love. You are worthy. I want you to hear that from God's message. You are worthy of his love. You are worthy of his love. Right? You're worthy of his love. That's the, that is the mission of Jesus. He's reconciling this brokenness, and he's inviting us into fam, the family. And we're baptized. We're baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We join the family. And when you're in the family, you're worthy of love. You're worthy of love. You're able to put down works. You're able to put down uh, whatever kind of progress you're making from A to B. You're, you're able to put, put down these sort of facades. You're worthy of his love. And we're going to sing one more song, and I'll know when James come up, and you to know that, that you are worthy of his love. And God is setting the tone, John is setting the tone in this, in this book about this guy who's impacting the, the universe. He says he's coming with grace. He says the Father is loving. He's inviting us into that love.
So if you struggle with that, you struggle with your own identity of just knowing that he loves you, I pray that the Spirit will work on your heart this afternoon. And then for those of us who just, I don't know, we, maybe we know we're fine, but we don't care about dealing with anybody else, man, just search your heart. Who are those people out there that are just aching? And maybe they're a famous actor. Maybe they're somebody on the street. Maybe they're a, a boss or a coworker or somebody who works at a fast food restaurant. How can you interact with them to let them know their love? So, God, we thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for it's uh, a gift of love, Lord. When you say you're my beloved, you're saying you are worthy of my love. God, and as your sons and daughters, we embrace that, Lord. It even feels kind of awkward. We're worthy of your love, Lord, but we embrace that through Christ alone. They're worthy. Pray for anyone who just feels like they're not there. They don't have Father's love. They don't have embrace. Pray for a big hug right now. In your name, amen.